Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. In 10:30, sometimes people from 8:30 don't always know the people from 10:30 and vice versa. And sometimes you kind of get the feel of two different churches. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to create this sense of connection for this service because I want to communicate to you um, and all of you at the same time without variation or without distraction what I believe God is doing in our midst and more particularly where he is leading us to be. Now mark it down. You need to understand something. This hit me yesterday as I was finalizing my sermon notes and I put this in at the last minute that doing this on this day is no accident. It's no accident. Sometimes, have you ever noticed that sometimes as we are living our life and going through life, God will lead us into places that sometimes we are a little bit oblivious of or we're unaware of, and all of a sudden it dawns on you at the last minute, wow, God really did have a plan in all of this and that he... He was actually orchestrating, and and sometimes we think, well, is he involved in this? And he is absolutely involved, because I didn't realize until I began to really finalize my notes yesterday what today represented. Today is Palm Sunday. Amen. Today is the day that we remember Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem as Savior and as King. Do you remember the story? Do you remember what happened? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, large crowds begin to form and they, they laid at the, his feet or right in front of him on the road branches of palm trees and these palm fronds were laid all over the road and they worshiped Jesus. Hundreds, if not thousands of people shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's what happened on this day. And you say, why is that significant? Because this is the beginning of the Holy Week. Okay, amen. Now, I'm not going to get lost in a lot of religion here, but I want you to understand this is a significant week. And you say, why is it? Because this is the beginning of when Jesus changed everything. Listen to me. Jesus changed everything. See, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the Easter season, and it's where we look back and we celebrate the author of life giving you and I new life. Can you say amen? Now, that's not only what we experience in our Christianity, but church, new life is who we are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No, I'm going to say that again. I need, to, I, need to, I need to really get this into your DNA and into your thinking. New life is who we are. I'm going to say it again. New life is who we are. Can you say amen? It's through his grace. It's through his hope that we are transformed. Are you hearing me? Now listen to me. The thought of Jesus changing everything has been on my mind and my heart for months. You say, why is that? Well, I can tell you that in my experience in life, I am encountered not only in my personal life, 
but probably more so I encounter people that are coming into a place <clears throat> where their situations are very desperate. They need a miracle. They don't need a prescription. They don't need a doctor. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Don't misunderstand. They don't need a lawyer or an accountant. <clears throat> they don't need a financial advisor. They don't need an architect or a really good builder. What they need is a savior, the author of life, to give them a new life. Can you say amen? And I believe that's what God is up to, not only in the world, but specifically, because I'm not speaking to the world, even though I am talking to people on Facebook today by virtue of video, and we appreciate you and we love you as well. But I'm speaking to this church. And in this church, God is up to giving people new life. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a few minutes because the dynamic of new life will guide our future for years to come because it is who we are. In our text, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Think about the implications, the supernatural implications of this text. It says, if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creature. Now the word new here describes something that is brand new or recently made. It also carries the idea of something being far superior. That means when Jesus came into your life, you were made brand new, completely new. The new you is superior to the old you. Can you say amen? In fact, you are so new that the verse, the Bible calls you in this verse, a new creation. Amen. Now that's important because the word creation in the Greek is the same word that is used to describe creation of the world. Are you hearing me? Yes. See, when God created the universe, he didn't use existing material or old elements to make it. Everything in creation was newly made. Are you hearing me? There was a scientist, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but there was a scientist one day, he went down and says, God, I'm going to challenge you. He says, you say you created life. Well, I can create life. And so he began to take mud and water and he mixed it and he formed a man and he put some diodes in it and threw some electricity through and all of a sudden this man leapt to his feet and was alive. And God looked at him and says, that's fine, but you got to go get your own dirt. <laughs> See, the, the word creation... It means God started right back at the very base element. Everything about you is new. 
You're not an amended piece of equipment. You are not a corrected sentence. You're not an improved version of what you used to be. You are absolutely brand new creation. You are completely different from the person that you once were before Christ. Now hang on. There's more to it than just that. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now the first part of this verse says that you and I are God's workmanship. This word workmanship carries the idea of something that is artfully created. It denotes one who has the extraordinary ability to create a masterpiece. This explains exactly what happened when you became a child of God. On the day you got saved, God put forth his most powerful and creative effort to make you brand new. And once God was finished making you, you became a masterpiece skillfully and artfully created in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to that? That's why this morning there are few things more frustrating than the gradual erosion of our identity in Christ. Now listen to me. Hell has worked hard to delude our understanding of what it means to have new life. So many just don't get it. I wonder if the people who love the hymn, Amazing Grace, really have any idea of what they are singing. Do they know what it means, biblically speaking, <clears throat> to be a lost wretch in need of salvation? Unfortunately, our understanding in many ways of divine grace is limited. The grace that redeems us from sin and delivers us from eternal wrath has been domesticated. It has been secularized. It has been emptied of its spiritual significance. And so much of the time, this new life is really just a get-out-of-jail-free card or that somehow we've appeased God and now we can go on with our lives. This is so much different from the revelation that God gives us in 2 Corinthians, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God is speaking to us and says, look it, you are not just an updated version of your old self. You are brand new. There's been a new creation, a new birth, a new regeneration. And it doesn't mean it's just merely mending your way or changing bad habits or embracing a new list of do's and don'ts. It means that you have radically, pervasively, spiritually been recreated created on the inside all the way through. Can you say amen? No wonder this morning Paul calls for our undivided attention with the statement, behold, all things have become new. He says, behold, be stunned, be very stunned that you are utterly a new creation. He says, behold, stop and consider this remarkable and overwhelming truth. Don't pass it by. 
with a casual glance. Give it the focus that it's due. Behold, you are in every way a brand new life. Can you say amen? amen. So could it be this morning the reason that so many Christians struggle is because they fail to grasp the spiritual radical implications of being a new creation? Could it be that some of you live unnecessarily enslaved to old things because the truth of verse 17 has never been given the weight it ought to bear? That's right, I said unnecessarily enslaved. You don't need to live in bondage anymore to old things. Can you say amen? No matter how stubborn they may be, our heavenly father, the God of all creation, sent his son. He lived as a man, walked as a man without sin, went to a cross, died on that cross, and rose again, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. And he became the author of life and empowered and given the authority to extend that life, the kind of life that God has, the Zoe kind of life, and that without measure. He says, I will give it to you, and it will be to you new life. Can you say amen? <laughs> we are, church, we are in every way his crowning achievement. Are you hearing me? See, our Father in heaven loves to do a new thing, doesn't he? It is the essence of the kingdom. You know, in the kingdom of God, nothing gets old, it's never stale. Manna is never stale. The only time manna was stale is when you tried to hoard it for yourself. That's a whole nother sermon. We'll leave it alone. It's always fresh. The kingdom is always vital, vibrant, and alive. Let me say this. God wants, God longs to do new things for us, not only as individuals, but as a church. God has more for us. More is not a good enough word to describe the level of what he has for us. It's bigger, it's deeper. The Bible puts it this way, it's exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. And even at that, that does not cut how deep it goes. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. A friend of mine, he's here today. I won't mention his name. I was just thinking about this. He posted a picture of a new car. He says, I want one. He goes, anybody want to go in partnership with me? And I, so I wrote back on the Facebook. I said, I'll buy the gas. How many know you know, and I'm not, don't, don't misunderstand me today. I don't want to, I don't want this to just degrade into, you know, oh, I'm going to get rich and, you know, have all the nice things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about riches and wealth and ability and power and strength and things that go far beyond money and possessions. I, I'm talking about the presence of the living God emanating from your life. I, I'm talking about you walking into rooms to where the atmosphere changes and bodies are healed and people do not understand even the dynamic they're in, all they know is that they've been touched by something beyond themselves. And the power of the Holy Spirit shows up. That's the kind of life we're talking about. We can never give in to complacency 
or the apathy that wants to push in. We must let go of the past and press in to the new. Amen. Amen. That's what we must do. <clears throat> Knowing that it has already begun. Though it may only be a sprout, it will grow and it will produce if we let it. I love the, the prophecy in the book of Ezekiel where God begins to talk about the river that flows from the throne of God. That as it flows underneath the throne and out of the temple, as it's coming out, it's just a little trickle. People would look at that and they would say, well, that's not much. There's nothing there. But go down the road about a thousand feet. And then another thousand and another thousand. And when you get about a mile down the road, that trickle has turned into a raging torrent of life. And it says everywhere that river goes, it brings life and health and abundance. God wants to do something new. Can you say amen? amen. Our heavenly father, Jesus has made all things new. We have been given a new beginning, a second chance, but there's more to it than just that. We've been radically changed. Can you say amen? amen. We have a new nature, a new future, a new family, a new destiny, a new home, everything is new. And the wonderful truth here is that it's not something that we did. It's something that he has done. Are you hearing me? It's not something that we do. He did it. It's finished, Jesus said. It is finished. Amen. This work of the old becoming new is the work of the hand of God in our lives. See, too often we think that our efforts or our, our power, our strategy is going to produce a change. No way. Not even close. What was the old evangelist that says, I don't have enough power to blow fuzz off a rubber monkey. I'm not sure what that meant, but he was an old evangelist. And I'm thinking that he heard God somewhere. See, the old passes away because of his effort. Sin loses its power because he breaks the chains that bind. Our minds are renewed because he gives us his mind. My nature has been radically changed because he gave me his nature. Our behavior changes because we've been made in the image of his dear son. Are you saying then I, I have nothing to do? Absolutely not. But we must do the right thing. That's another sermon altogether there too. We must learn to walk in him. We need to walk in that newness of life. We need a clear vision and clear purpose. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, there's an interesting portion of scripture reading from the New Living Translation. It says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
The old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. That way both the wine and the wineskins are preserved. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that you and I are created for new possibilities. Jesus, when Jesus encountered religious traditionalism, he says, though it may have served you well in the past, it will not take people where they need to go next. You can't live on yesterday's miracle. That's the point of manna. When he gave the manna to the children of Israel, he was teaching them, you cannot live on yesterday's bread. Are you catching that? When Jesus talked about wineskins, he was talking about something that had radically been changed. Just as surely as new wine is an illustration of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the operation of the Word of God that flows like water in our lives, the new wineskin is an illustration of a life radically changed by the power of salvation. Now, there is so much in this verse of Scripture. You can mine this out for years because he's talking about old wineskins and new wineskins. You know, the reality is God loves both old and new. Do you understand that? Do you know why he didn't put new wine in old skins? Because he loved the old skin. He didn't want the old skin to burst. So he put the new wine in new wine skins. But this is also a promise. This is the, the, if you read between the lines and you read with your spiritual eyes instead of our physical eyes, we begin to see that his commitment is to take the old skin and make them new again. Are you hearing me? He takes what is old and he says, I'm going to refresh it. I'm going to make it live again. He says to the valley of dry bones, he says to the prophet, can these bones live? And the prophet, I love him because he reminds me of me. He gives the safe answer. Only you know, God. Don't ask me. That's way above my pay grade. I don't know. And he says, I'll tell you what, you speak to them. Speak to them. Command the wind, declare the wind, the breath of God to breathe on that which is dead and gone. And I'll make it live again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? To open up to the newness of God's possibilities in our lives. We need that radical change. Oftentimes, some of us have walked with him for so long that we can get a little stiff. Let me put it, let me, let me quit putting that on you. I've been saved for 47 years. Living for God, actively living for God for 47 years. I can get a little stiff. Amen. Yeah, you know, I, I read that, done that. I don't even know how many times I've read the Bible anymore. I don't know. I've, I've, I, I have about 40 of them, and I've read them all. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I've heard sermons on faith and this and that and new and blah, 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 blah. 
I bet that's me. I'm, I, I'm just confessing. It's like, oh, I've heard that. I've heard that a thousand times. There's something inside me. God has been churning inside me. I want to do a new thing. I want to do something new. And I believe the Lord wants to do something new in this place. Unlike anything we've ever known before. Are you hearing me? You know what we're really talking about? Let me tell you. We're talking about what's written on our wall out in the foyer. We're talking about his grace, his hope, and the transformation that comes from that. You know, that's funny. I was telling Brother Jeff Adams about this the other day. We were talking, and, and I said, you know, what was funny is I, I came up with that grace, hope, transformation probably about four, four and a half, five years ago. And I kind of just, just in the midst, I was <clears throat> actually working on the bylaws of the church, the legal documents and all of that. And I come across this, just this thought in my mind. I just thought, you know what, what is, what is our vision? What is that? And I went, you know what? We need to be a place where people can receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. And I stumbled over it. That, that's one of those things where you kind of trip over God. God, God kind of throws a nugget out and then you trip over the nugget, you know? <laughs> But I want you to understand grace, hope, and transformation is not just a one-time experience. It is a lifestyle. And it's not just a matter of being saved from the, 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 the power of hell. It's not just a new belief system or a new religion or a new morality. This is a transformation of character, a cleansing, a renewal of the heart and the mind. It's a new perspective, a new hope, a new joy. This is the new wine of the Spirit being continually poured in. Can you say amen? One man wrote this. He says, the wine of the Spirit radically changes us. It permeates and it saturates and it intoxicates. The people who saw what was happening at Pentecost says they have had too much wine. They are drunk. Wouldn't that be something if they said that about us today? Usually the outside world looks at Christians now and they, and they say, they need a drink. They call us boring joyless and sour would to God that we would be so full of joy of the wine of God that the people thought we had too much to drink yeah yeah far better than having them think that we've never experienced any joy in our encounter with God Church, let me say something. As I look over the faces, there's a lot of people that are over 50. I'm over 50. I, with Kathy and I, Friday, had to drive down the needles. We had to do some stuff at, at the DMV for Amy, of all things. And oh, it's a long story. Anyway, we had to go down there. And so we were driving. And then we decided, many of you probably don't know, there's a road called River Road that goes to Laughlin because we were going to have dinner in Laughlin. We hadn't been on that road in a long time. And so the last time we were on it, Kathy got very sick. And so she didn't have any Dramamine. So we thought, so we're driving and I'm doing about 40 miles an hour and there's people stacking up and I'm pulling over. And I finally said to her, I said, you know what? 
I'm getting old. And she said, why? And I says, because I really enjoy the journey. I said, I'm not, I'm not so keen to just get there. See, before it was like the reason she got sick, because on River Road, I was driving like about 90. And let me tell you, that's a twisty road. But then I got thinking, I, I thought, God help me. I, I don't want that mindset that I just don't want to settle in. I, <laughs> I, I want to learn to enjoy the journey. Don't misunderstand. But somewhere, I want to be filled with life. When I slide into my grave or, or, or they spread my ashes, I, whatever the kids decide to do, don't care. Whatever is the cheapest. I want to be alive. Can you say amen? I want to be alive. I want to be alive. I want to be filled with life. I'm not talking about going out partying. I'm talking about the life God has. I'm talking about feeling his presence. I'm talking about seeing his angels. I'm talking about hearing his word, his voice. I want to see the miracles of God. I want to see him move. And you know what? It is for that reason that we do all that we do. I've said this to you before, but I'm going to say it to you again. We do everything that we do, everything we do, from picking up paper on the floor to preaching behind this pulpit. We do what we do for one reason. It's for the one. It's for the one who desperately needs a savior, a healer, a deliverer. We do what we do for the one who is still lost, who is still in sin, still broken. We do it so that they, like all of us, can come and receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. So that they, like us, can have new life. Can you say amen? Since the very beginning of this church, this church has had a vision. We've used slogans like, we are a lighthouse in a dark and dying world. This church exists for those who are not yet part of it. We're, building a big, we're not building a big church, we're building big people. We've, done, we've used those, those tags, those lines to express our vision, but they haven't always been clear. And it's my goal this morning that we as a church and as individuals understand in clarity who we are, what we are, and why we do what we do. Really, you know what this, this, this sermon, you know what this is about? Refining the focus of our vision. Are you hearing me? See, we are a church that's connected together in unity and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We're growing in maturity and in the image and the stature of the fullness of Christ, where everyone can be safe, where everyone can be loved and can love, where people can receive grace, find hope, experience transformation, where, we, where honor and service are our culture, where growth and development in all aspects is encouraged and modeled, where connection and communion and fellowship are family traits where the gift of the individual is celebrated and nurtured. The church for years has been a church that at its heart has had a vision 
that we would pour out from here in every way new life. Now I want to bring just a little bit. I'm almost done. Almost done, and then you're going to get out of here. You're going to get out early. You'll beat everybody at Chili's. Here's the deal. God spoke to me a while back, sometime back. And God began to pour into me this, this understanding of vision. He poured into me that this vision would be new. It would be developed. And when I say new, what, what I mean by that is refined. He, it's been there. See, it's been, the, it's been the seed. It's been the core of who we are. We've always preached salvation. We've always preached life. We've always prayed for the sick. We've always done it. But now we want to do it in conjunction with what he is doing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This vision is going to guide us, and it's going to direct us. I remember, see, God oftentimes speaks to me in pictures. And I remember back probably in 2013, God said this to me. He goes, because I was actually complaining to God, and I know that's hard for you to believe that I would. But I was complaining because things weren't happening faster. And God says to me, it's not going to happen fast, John. It's going to take some time. And he says, the reason why is because the church is an aircraft carrier. And aircraft carriers don't turn fast. He says they they don't turn fast. And the reason they don't turn fast is because everything of value would just go into the ocean if they turn fast. And then he said this. He goes, but while you're turning, I'm going to turn you into a submarine. And I went, whoa, that was a cool illustration. And I, so I had to meditate on that. And what God was showing is he says, look, you're still in the Navy. That hadn't changed. And you still are a, a, a vessel to go to war. That ain't changing. So all that you are really at your essence stays the same. But you're going to change a little direction. And you know what? There's going to be a little bit of a new identity in it for you. And as God began to deal with me in that, he began to deal with that this is a refocusing. It's a, it's a sharpening, if you will, of the vision. And that's why I've decided by the leading of the Lord and with the support of our corporate board and our pastoral staff, we're going to change the name of our church. And we're going to change the name of the church to New Life Church. When God, when God came to Abram and said, your name is Abraham, it was prophetic. When God went to Jacob and said, you're Israel, it was prophetic. When Jesus came to Simon and said, your name's going to be Peter, it was prophetic. When God looked at Saul 
said you're going to be Paul. It was prophetic. And it changed everything. Now look at church. The things that ultimately matter about who we are is not changing. Someone came up to me this morning and I was kind of mean because I delayed in my response. He said, he walked up to me and he says, hey, pastor, he says, this big announcement isn't you're leaving, is it? And I just looked at him and smiled and walked away. And he followed me. I turned around and said, no. The only thing that that's happening here, and let me, let me say this to you, because some of you probably noticed that the sign's not on the side of the building. Part of that is because we had the building painted, the front part, and we're still working on that. But we'll have that up there. And we are, um, what we're doing is we're coming in line, we're refocusing and, and sharpening that vision to say, you know what? Everything about this church, we want to be new life. See, God spoke to me another time, and he said this to me. He says, you know, John, he says, the, the style of ministry that has been for a while has been what's called the pool of Bethesda style of ministry. What that means is, is everybody sits around, waits until the angel stirs the pool, and then everybody tries to get in, and whoever gets in first gets healed. He goes, that, I'm, I don't want that anymore. That's why that vision of the river, he says, I'm gonna turn you into a stream. It's gonna be a river. He says, because what's gonna happen is life is gonna flow out. It's gonna flow out from this place. That means you, that means you. When you go daily into the world, you will share the love and the message of Jesus. And you'll, they'll say, well, where are you from? They'll say, I'm from New Life Church. And, and it'll be a prophetic statement, a prophetic statement of what we stand for. We stand for new life in Christ. Can you say amen? That's what we stand for. And that's that river that will flow. Now, you know what? The, our doctrine does not change. Our staff is not changing. The, the look of the building is not gonna change. The, we may change our stage. We change that every four, three, three months. But the, the reality is, is, is we're, we're refocusing because we really believe. I believe this is the timing of God. I've, I've prayed over this. I've wrestled over this, talked to a lot of people, have gotten advice and on and on. And I believe this has God drawn a line in the sand. And I believe he's making a way where there seems to be no way. Can you say amen? When all these men had their name changed, it really was the, the impetus. It was the, it was the spark that caused them to be who they finally became. And I believe that's what God's gonna do here. Can you say amen? amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. We thank you, God, that you have given us this vision and that you have helped us. And Father, we receive it today. We receive it. And Lord, though it may be a little bit uncomfortable at moments. We're not sure all what it means. We, we are able to put our lives in our church and our future directly into your hands. 
And Father, we love you. And we thank you. We know you're doing a new thing. And it's, God, words, there are not human words. There's no language, God, that can adequately express what you want to do for us, in us, and through us. And Father, we just give you the glory. And I wonder as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't have this thing you call new life. I don't have it, but I would like it. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor, I need, I need Jesus. Amen, I see that hand. Someone else, amen, I see that hand. Yes, anyone else, someone else. Amen, I see that one. You can put it down, anyone else. I need Jesus, yes, thank you, Jesus. I, I see that you can put it down. Anyone else, praise God. Would you all pray with me? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. Pour your new life into me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God's Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.